Welcome to Middle Collegiate Church. My name is Christina Fleming, and I'm the Director of Communications here at Middle Church. On behalf of the Reverend Dr. Jackie Lewis, who is on vacation in our consistory, we warmly welcome you this morning. And hello to our live streamers. If you'll just turn around and say hello to those worshiping at the beach or in their pajamas, we're glad you're at Middle as well. Um, this is Labor Day Sunday, of course, and we're excited that a lot of union members are helping to guide us through worship and worship leaders this morning. If you are in a union, will you just raise your hand? Look at this. Um, and we have a special guest, Joe, uh, Joe Pepperone is the, uh, guides the Labor Religion Coalition of New York State. And he has, uh, is kind of the big organizer of the Poor People's Campaign statewide. And he will be with uh, Minister Rob Stevens after worship in the sermon talkback. So if you wanna learn more about that organization, the Poor People's Campaign, and talk about the sermon, the fourth, play, the fourth floor is your place to go after worship. Um, I see some beautiful visitors or some new faces that might not have been in this sacred sanctuary before. If you are, this is, if this is your first time entering this beautiful space, can, and you um, might be an extrovert, or introverts are welcome too, to raise their hand. Um, can you raise your hand? Beautiful. And our amazing ushers are coming through with small palm cards as ways to keep connected to us. So in the middle of the week, if you just want a middle pick-me-up, you can go to our YouTube channel, Middle Church YouTube, and you can hear amazing music from our archives, gospel, classical, the whole thing, um, or hear past sermons, and stay connected to us through Facebook or Twitter. And can you just shout out kind of some places you may be living currently? Um, Texas, beautiful. Thanks for visiting from Texas, yeah? Inwood, the northern tip of Manhattan. San Francisco. Ooh, I love that town. And I love Inwood, too. Jersey City. Anywhere else? Yes? The United Kingdom. And I know some, there are some people from France here as well. United Kingdom? Washington, D.C. Wonderful. Um, the youth are also going to be joining the sermon talkback uh, with Rob uh, as well today. Um, oh, this week uh, the Reverend Dr. Jackie Lewis is back and she and four of us will be going to the border um, for about four days this week um, to find out more about how we can reunite these families who are still separated and to learn from the people at the border and hear their stories and talk about next steps. So we're excited about that sacred journey that'll be this week. And next Sunday, we have both worships return on a Sunday. So 9.30 and 11.45, we'll be back. And live streamers, 11.45, will be broadcast on your computer or tablet. Um, okay, one other brief announcement before I, we go to the hymn. And this summer, we were graced with a big blessing of, uh, let's see, at the conference, we have a huge conference in the spring where it brings together national leaders on justice and race. And Jackie did six interviews 
um, in partnership with the local PBS station uh, that are all available right now on PBS slash religion um, under chapter and verse. So if you'd like to see ways that Middle Church and your work for race and justice are in the world, those videos are all live now. So if you will join us for our opening hymn, Precious Lord, Take My Hand. Good morning. Please remain standing for the prayer of thanksgiving. Um, my name is Beth Ellor, and I'm a proud member of the Moore Caucus of the UFG. As we celebrate another Labor Day in a time of increased tension and public awareness of the workings of inequity at so many levels of our nation's life, it's good to be reminded of the contributions of the union movement. And they gave voice to the workers of the new industrial workplaces subjected to exploitation and abuses while profits enriched but a tiny few. But this effort is never done, and new generations of workers stand in need of protection today. So I'm calling out a few. Let us give thanks for the many people who are now the hands and feet of our Creator, rising up from our communities in a newfound solidarity which had seemed crushed in apathy. Let us give thanks for the beloved community we find here in Middle Church, where opportunities exist to learn, to participate, to dedicate ourselves to a better world as followers of the way. Let us give thanks for the success of a ballot proposition A on August the 7th in Missouri, where voters soundly defeated a right to work initiative and prevented Missouri from becoming the 28th misnamed right to work state. 
Let us give thanks for the current prisoner strike taking shape across the country through the Incarcerated Workers Organizing Committee in opposition to the use of prison slave labor, dehumanizing conditions, and lack of restorative supports which affect both prisoners and guards. Let us give thanks for the ongoing struggle of the Imokali workers striving for fair wages and working conditions in agricultural fields. Let us give thanks for the National Domestic Workers Alliance advocating for the reunification of families separated at the border and against indiscriminate deportation and terrorization of minority communities. Let us give thanks for my fellow teachers of the Vancouver Educational Alliance in Washington State who are currently striking for working conditions and pay improvements. Let us give thanks for every sign and portent that a spirit of justice is stirring in America and that as Reverend Barber has said in the Poor People's Campaign, leaders are rising up from communities all over the country to change the face of poverty, inequality and exploitation. May we seek to see hope and promise in every part of our lives from this day forward and forever. Amen.
Good morning, middle. Uh, I'm Katrina. Oh, Sarah's going to help me. Um, this is the message for all ages. I see you ready. I'm not even going to tell you who I am right now. I'm just going to invite you up. This is the time when we invite middle members and guests who are young and young at heart to come up here to the special blanket and hear the message for all ages. And I'm not Miss Marta. She's not here today, but she's watching. So we can wave at her. Say hi, Miss Marta. She'll be back next week. I, hi, I met you when you were a tiny little person. Uh, I'm Katrina. I'm a member of the United Federation of Teachers. That's my local union. And the UFT is for teachers and paraprofessionals and school nurses and school counselors and lots of other people who are right now getting ready to go back to school. Mm. <laughs> That's the other thing that Labor Day means, back to school. But today, we're talking about Labor Day. We're talking about labor. Does anybody know what labor means? I might need that. Anybody, any guesses? Yes. There you go. Work? Work. And when you think about work, what kind of work do you think about? Like, what, what are some jobs you know? Do you know a job? Um, like, um, taking care of a pet or something? Like taking care of a pet, so like a veterinarian or somebody who walks your dog when you're, that's work, that's labor. Anybody else have any ideas about jobs? I know a job Brooks wants to have when he's a grown up. Brooks, do you want to answer? No, that's okay. I mean, anybody else have any ideas? Well, if you have work and you go to work in the night, you have to do some important stuff. Right, if you work in the night, you have to do some important stuff. There are lots of people who work in the night. So the thing about work and labor is that people go to work because, for lots of reasons. They have to make money to pay for things. They have to do a job they really love, like I really love my job, so I go to work because I like talking to four-year-olds about dinosaurs, you know. <laughs> and because that's how our world gets the things it needs. Some people do work that makes things, like your mom makes things with her hands sometimes, right? She makes scarves. She makes scarves. They're beautiful. And I have one. Coffee cozy is very important. I have one. I love it. Um, and some people do work that makes other stuff that we can't hold in our hands. Like, they're the people who make sure the subway runs most of the time. <laughs> and they're the people that when you're sick and you go to the doctor, you know, you can go see the doctor. Or they're the people who clean out our trash so that there isn't trash on the sidewalk. And in New York City, lots of those people, firefighters, police officers, actors and musicians who make art, um, teachers, lawyers, they're part of this thing called a union. 
and a union helps to protect workers. It says, you and I, we have the same kind of job, and we shouldn't we go to a job where it's fair, and people get paid enough money to pay their bills, and people maybe get some time off to take care of their families? Those are some of the things that a union does. And I'm in a union, but maybe like Miss Celeste, she's in a different union. But her union and my union, they talk to each other and they say, you know what? It's not fair that you don't make enough money. It's not fair that if your child gets sick, you can't stay home. So we work together to make sure that union members, and then this is the really cool thing, we also make sure that all workers have good jobs that they like going to, that help pay them enough money for their families, and that they have time to enjoy their families. So you might not be in a union, but a union does help all of us. So I really like being in a union. I really like going to a job that I love, um, and that's what I wanted to tell you today. So I hope that was okay. Okay? Do we have any questions? I like questions. No? Was that clear? I'm, I was very nervous. I took some notes. I even, wrote, I even wrote here, if it doesn't work out, talk to Brooks about Major League Baseball and how players, <laughs> players are in a union. And in the NFL, the union is supporting the freedom of speech and the right to protest. That supports all of us. So, I'm wearing my button, it says union proud. When you go back to your grown-ups, ask them about their jobs, what they like about their jobs. Don't worry too much about Wednesday, it's a few days away. But here we go, should we pray? Thank you for being so gentle with me. I was very nervous and you were all just so gentle with me. Okay, ready? Okay, there's a, there's a bear involved, okay. Dear God, Dear God, thank you for meaningful work. Thank you for meaningful work. Thank you for protecting workers. Thank you for protecting workers. And thank you for unions. And thank you for unions. That benefit all of us. That benefit all of us. Amen. Amen. And then you can go find your grown-ups and we're gonna sing one of my favorite songs ever. I sing it just like while I'm walking down the street sometimes because it's so good. Ready? Here you go. Morning peace. Good morning. My name is Michelle Henley. I'm a member of the Surrogate Reporters Union of the City of New York, a member of the Union of the World, and a member of Middle Collegiate. Please join me in a moment of silent meditation as we prepare for prayer. Dear God, in the turbulent 
Orwellian times in which we live, we pray for sanity and stillness. Our ability to remain calm as we vocally protest by marching, letters, and phone calls to appropriate officials. The wrongs we see being done to God's people here in New York City and worldwide. We pray for all of our leaders, those with orange hair and no hair, to do the next right thing. In case you didn't know, we are a union. Middle is a union. The word union derives from the Latin un, un, which means us, and eon, which means one. Loosely translated, meaning to unite. Only when we unite can we overcome the virulent strain of hate that seems pervasive nowadays. No person in America should be too poor to live. As Steveland Hardaway Morris said during homegoing services for Aretha, only love can conquer hate. I invite you to stand and hold hands and say the Lord's Prayer in the language you know it or the way it is written in the bulletin. Ever loving and holy God, hallowed be your name. Your reign come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For ours is the reign, the power, and the glory. invite you now to pass the peace of God.
Hello, middle. I'm Tammy Petty, the director of music. Hi. And I belong to two different unions. One is the American Federation of Teachers, and the other is called American Guild of Musical Artists. And I'm Marian Wise. I'm a social worker with the SUNY system, and I'm with the United Federation of Teachers. So please join us now in reading James chapter 1, verses 12 to 27. You can take a moment to find that in your Bible. It comes almost at the end of the Bible, uh, after Hebrews, right before 1 Peter. Listen now for a word from God. Blessed is anyone who endures temptation. Such a one has stood the test and will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love God. No one, when tempted, should say, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and God tempts no one. But one is tempted by one's own desire, being lured and enticed by it. Then, when that desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and that sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Do not be deceived, my beloved. Every generous act of giving, with every perfect gift, is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In fulfillment of God's own purpose, God gave us birth by the word of truth, so that we would become a kind of first fruits of his creatures. You must understand this, my beloved. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, for your anger does not produce God's righteousness. Therefore, rid yourselves of all sordidness and rank growth of wickedness and welcome with meekness the implanted word that has the power to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not merely hear, hearers who deceive themselves. For if any hearers of the word and not doers, they are like those who look at themselves in a mirror. For they look at themselves and on going away, immediately forget what they were like. But those who look into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and persevere, being not hearers who forget, but doers who act, they will be blessed in their doing. If any think they are religious and do not bridle their tongues, but deceive their hearts, their religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. The word of God for the people of God. Let the church say amen for all the union members participating in worship today. Amen. Let the church say amen again. Amen. All right. Thank you all for uh, being a part of this today. Uh, some of you all uh, got the last minute treatment um, that is all in love. Uh, and appreciate your patience. Um, 
We are uh, thankful for having Joe with us and the Labor Religion Coalition. Joe, would you stand up? Uh, Reverend uh, Emily McNeil, their executive director, uh, sent Joe with lots of blessings. And we look forward to hearing more about where the Poor People's Campaign is and, and where it's going. Um, I know some of us were up there in Albany, uh, this, and certainly down in D.C. as well. Um, so please do come upstairs after worship today at 4 o'clock for that conversation. Um, and also during, uh, Tom will let you know that you can make a special donation to the uh, Labor Religion Coalition to put in the memo of a check or use that white envelope. Uh, there you go. Yeah, uh, to indicate that on top. Uh, also, it is such a blessing to see Miss Geraldine Smith back with us today. Got to go see her in rehab, and she was having too much fun uh, with her, her, her partner in crime over there. Her roommate said that Geraldine was the reason that she stayed in, in, in rehab. I said, I don't, think that's, <laughs> I don't think that's the reason you're supposed to stay. Uh, but we are so blessed to have you back. Thank you. Um, so we, we just got through with August, and August can be a hard month. I told the staff the other week that it, I think August is the cruelest month. Uh, Judith Rossner wrote a book in the 80s called August. Uh, it was a fiction story about the phenomena in New York City when, uh, that all the therapists take vacation in August. <laughs> Some of y'all might know that that they all go off to vacation and leave us here to cope uh, on our own. Uh, senior pastors actually do the same thing. <laughs> and, uh, and we have to deal. Uh, so wait, wait, several years later, in, uh, in the early 90s, the classic film, What About Bob? Uh, also spoke to this phenomenon where Bill Murray, portraying a patient named Bob, follows Dr. Uh, Leo Marvin on vacation to New Hampshire. Yes, it is a, a time of transitions. Uh, the summer heat is here, but without any promise of more vacation. Uh, it has all the downsides of summer. The heat, the surprising and peculiar smells of trash that assault the senses as you're walking on the sidewalk. The anonymous dripping. in the subways, on the streets, and even when you just, you're not even under anything. <laughs> and you just pray that it's from the AC units. Uh, it just seems like there's gross water everywhere. So August, it has all this, but none of the charm of the Jays of June and July in New York. Sorry for all those August birthdays, we have a lot. Uh, but it's as if the founders of Labor Day knew that we would need a vacation from August uh, before we get back to the routine of September. And I say all of this uh, uh, as the full weight of August weighed down on, on, on us last week, uh, whereas in the 90s few days, that it really wasn't my fault when I started sending some petty emails. Uh, it wasn't my fault. We, we, and I think this other person had been dealing with August when they sent our staff an email that said, uh, please see my response in all red caps. In all red, was, that was red, and the caps, and all the way down. And the style and tone matched the, uh, the, con that, uh, the context uh, of the whole interaction. Uh, I gave myself the night, I want to say I was being uh, righteous, but I, I couldn't figure out how to 
do colors on my phone. Um, so, but when I got back in, I, was, I, sent a, I sent just one short response. I said, please see my response in lowercase blue. And just said, we'll talk about it next week. Um, then I got a call from Jackie uh, right after that, because she, uh, she goes on vacation, but she was peering in. She just said, Rob, how are you? <laughs> and we had a very good talk that uh, got a lot of things out. Um, so that's where we stand here in September. If you would please pray with me and pray hard. <laughs> oh, loving Creator God, we give you thanks for this opportunity to be in your presence this morning. We give you thanks uh, for the union members and the non-union members, uh, those who work in all sorts of ways, ways that aren't recognized, ways that are recognized, work at home, work in school as students, at play, we give you thanks for them. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our Lord, who is our rock, our liberator, and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Uh, so the letter of James was one of the last books of the Bible to be officially accepted in the canon. It, uh, when you read it, you sometimes wonder, is this really in the Bible? Uh, all this stuff about true religion is everything you kind of want to say to people. Uh, but it was, uh, indeed it was criticized and maligned uh, ever since that time when it was finally let in. Uh, and it was criticized as being out of sync with the rest of the scriptures, especially some of the more strict interpretations of Paul's theology of salvation by faith alone. Martin Luther in the 1500s is James's most famous detractor, uh, especially that inconvenient part in James that says, faith without works is dead. Of course, I am of the opinion that G James is certainly consistent with the gospel message of Christ. I think it may get a bad rap sometimes because James' words are not as easily twisted as other parts of the New Testament. When James writes, religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress. It's hard to create alternative facts about our faith and say God only and exclusively wants our faith to be a matter of private morality, private salvation, and not collective liberation. Or when it says in the second chapter, but you have dishonored the poor, is it not the rich who oppress you? Is it not they who drag you into court? Is it not they who blaspheme the excellent name that was evoked over you? It's hard to preach a prosperity gospel that God shows fav God's favor by blessing people with financial success. And my editor, uh, who happens to be my spouse, told me to cut back on all these examples, but I can't help myself with chapter 5, where it says, come now, they, and the lectionary skips this one, uh, come now, you rich people, weep and wail for the miseries that are coming to you. Listen. The wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. Yes, uh, James, is, James is tough. James is tough. He's the author who says, let your yes be yes and let your no be no. There's actually over 100 imperative statements in these short five chapters. 60% of the verses are commands. 
And James is clear on economic justice and labor rights. James has been a source of inspiration to social movements for centuries, and so it would have made sense on Labor Day to make an argument for labor rights, a gospel-based argument for worker justice and organizing labor. Uh, but uh, my colleagues have made that good argument already today, and we'll do more this afternoon. And uh, on Friday, uh, while I was trying to do that, uh, and spending much of my sermon time, sermon writing time, watching the homegoing celebration of Aretha Franklin, I felt a call to a different direction today. So how many of y'all watched the celebration on Friday? Uh, if you haven't seen it, uh, you've probably seen clips or parts of it on social media, I encourage you uh, to do yourself a, yourself a favor and go watch parts of it. Uh, it's not enough time to watch all of it. It was a doozy. Uh, but uh, it was a great way to spend a Friday. Uh, Reverend Barber called out, uh, uh, not called out, called in uh, Bishop T.D. Jakes and Minister Farrakhan to come back for a voter registration rally later in the fall. Uh, had the Clark sisters, Fantasia, Gladys Knight, Stevie Wonder, and so many more. It was a historic occasion and a phenomenal collection of brilliance, talent, and love that we might not see again. I actually made the mistake of taking a nap uh, somewhere along the way and woke up in time for the eulogy. And uh, I'll let you go and read all the thought pieces uh, and social media prophets to explain why the eulogy was problematic uh, by uh, Reverend Dr. Jasper Williams. But he actually started with a quote that I found interesting. He was trying to get at this thing called soul. Uh, after the quote, it went downhill. But the the, the quote uh, was of Aretha Franklin's father, Reverend Dr. C.L. Franklin, in a sermon from 1955. And Reverend Franklin uh, was an acclaimed preacher for many years in Detroit and a gospel artist in his own right. And he produced a sermon alongside music on Psalm 23. And when it came to the third verse where it says, He restoreth my soul in the King James, Reverend Franklin explained soul this way. Soul is pretty hard to define. Nobody can really say what soul is. As close as we can come to define it is that it's that part of man and human that is a little bit like God. Or soul is a little part of God in us. Reverend Franklin continues in the original sermon saying it's where one's ability to sympathize comes from one's ability to be compassionate, unselfish, and not so self-centered. And so with that definition of human soul and mind, the little part of God that is in us, I want to consider on this Labor Sunday what type of soul work we want to be in the business of doing. What is the work of our souls? I think James must have experienced a great deal of rancor and infighting in the communities he was writing to. He is genuinely worried about the, about the way people are treating, or rather mistreating, one another, the way people are ignoring injustice, the way people are disrespecting and diminishing each other. He is worried about their soul work. James begins this section by saying we should stop blaming God for all our sins. We should stop saying that God is tempting us towards enmity and hate, for God does not and would not try to trick us into sin. Because sin, for James, starts from something little, but when full-grown, becomes soul death. 
And God, the creator, cannot be responsible for soul death. So let's stop blaming God. Something or someone is responsible for it, but it's not God. For James writes, every generous act of giving with every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And so this, to understand in the context, this is a major intervention on Greek cosmology of the time, which James was at once influenced by and resisting. Because according to Greek mythology, the light was brightest at the top of the divine hierarchy, the source of life, the top God. And as the light travels down through the hierarchy with diminishing luminescence, it goes. So you could say for popular cosmology in the Greco-Roman world, the creator God was brightest and then diminished as it filtered down to lesser gods, to humans, to lesser humans, and so forth. But Christian theology at the time was busting that up and saying that the light of God is pure and whole wherever it shows up. That's how the, that's how the author of James can say every generous act of giving with every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. <laughs> this means the light of God in each of us is fully light, not some diminished remnant. That is, that every act of goodwill, of generosity, is of the same stuff of the Creator. This world at its roots was formed out of generosity of spirit. A spirit of generosity flows from God's nature and through those in the Bible and in history who appear to us living out the will of the source of life, life-affirming actions and lives. It is, as Reverend Franklin said 60 years ago, this light of generosity that manifests our better selves, our souls, the little piece of God in us, it is through this that we are able to connect to others, to stretch our capacity for empathy, to feel the joy and euphoria of love in all its forms, in friends, family, lovers, comrades, and more. And so it should make us pause for a moment when the scripture says in verse 20 that the implanted word has the power to save our souls. This comes right after one of the more famous verses in all of James, where it says, you must understand this, my beloved, let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, for your anger does not produce God's righteousness. Therefore, rid yourselves of all sordidness and rank growth of wickedness, and welcome with meekness the implanted word that has the power to save your souls. Now, this was one of the Bible verses that I uh, memorized as a teenager. And it was beautiful to me because it had the added benefit of fitting my personality at the time. Uh, family lore is that I, I didn't say my first word until I was three years old. And uh, like many little brothers, my older siblings and cousins and uh, adults did all the talking for me. And sometimes I'm tempted to say that, you know, when I started talking, it was full, clear sentences. Uh, but it was actually four more years before I could actually say my name correctly. Uh, so I was slow uh, to speak. Certainly, this, this works for me. Uh, and I like the part about being slow to anger, too. Uh, somewhere along the way in high school, I realized uh, that I often had two options when bad things happened. I could be sad or I could be mad. 
and I embrace the sad. I really thought it was going to lead me to produce God's righteousness. And a few years ago, I started some therapy uh, when I started thinking about marrying Hershey. Uh, I thought it was the least I could do for her. Uh, and uh, the therapist kept on saying that I was angry. And I thought he probably was just projecting on me, since he knew I was an activist and an organizer, that I talked about racism and civil rights a lot, and perhaps that's why he thought I was angry. And so I, of course, would go back and tell Hershey that this, this uh, therapist thinks I'm angry. And uh, Hershey told me, uh, uh, channeling Freud, uh, that depression is anger turned inward. Uh, that concept may be a little oversimplified, but there is truth to it, and there's uh, science to back it up. Depression being anger turned inward. So maybe I was angry. Maybe I was angry. So I looked at this verse again uh, this week and saw it with new eyes. It says, be slow to anger, slow to speak. It doesn't say, don't speak, don't get angry. If the scripture really didn't want us to get angry at all, then it would have said so, I think. Uh, and I have to admit that this past week when I started sending those uh, petty emails and being more direct on conference calls, at least uh, knows this, uh, I, I started to feel a whole lot lighter. Uh, you know, it's like what Maya Angelou says, moderation in all things, including moderation. Moderation in all things, including moderation. Derek reminded us last week that God doesn't want us halfway, but wants us in our audacious, radical, revolutionary selves. And actually, if you look closer at the Greek word for anger here, it's orge, which means something more like indignation. The direct translation would be settled anger. It, the definition goes on to say that it proceeds from an internal disposition which steadfastly opposes someone or something based on extended personal exposure. For example, solidifying what the beholder considers wrong. It comes from the verb orago, meaning to team, to swell, and thus implies that it is not a sudden outburst, but rather a fixed, controlled, a settled indignation. And now there's little room for empathy in settled indignation. There's little consideration for the other, our neighbors. There's little room for God in us, for our soul to work with a teeming, swelling resentment taking up residence. There's only a mind made up, a stubborn, mental, and emotional block gone unmoved. And sister outsider Audre Lorde has an essay on the uses of anger. And for the context, she's writing and presenting to a women's rights conference that is dealing with particularly the issues of the feminist movement addressing racism. And so she uses white women as an example here, but I, I hope that you'll also open yourself to it. Uh, I've seen situations where white women hear a racist remark, resent what has been said, become filled with fury, and remain silent because they are afraid. That unexpressed anger lies within them like an undetonated device, usually to be hurled at the first woman of color who talks about racism. But anger expressed and translated into action in the service of our vision and our future is a liberating and strengthening act of clarification, 
For it is in the painful process of this translation that we identify who are our allies with whom we have grave differences and who are our genuine enemies. The uses of anger. And so that brings me to what do you do? This is the, the section that's a little even more famous of the scripture where we're called to be doers of the word, not merely hearers of the word. As some of you know, I've been staying in uh, uh, Brooklyn uh, commute when I've been commuting back and forth. Um, and in Brooklyn, I've been staying with a five-year-old and a two-year-old and their parents. Uh, and the other day, I was walking upstairs at the end of day, uh, which is much earlier there, and I was walking upstairs, and their mother walked out of the bathroom where bath time was in full swing. There was splashing and giggles and screams happening. And she yelled back over her shoulder to them, I don't hear you using your listening ears. And I impishly looked at her and said, how do you hear their listening ears? <laughs> now, when I asked my friend if I could use this example, she said I had to give a caveat that, normally, that uh, parenting is an agrammatical affair. <laughs> and that she, she, she makes total sense in normal adult life. I'll take her word for it. But I began to consider this same question. How can listening be seen, felt, and even heard? How can we listen out loud? Listening out loud is a concept I got from a professor uh, of mine, Della Pollock, who I got into a lot of trouble with uh, in Chapel Hill uh, when we were organizing against gentrification and, um, and other issues. And listening out loud in that context was uh, responding to oral histories, that you don't just archive them and put them in the library, but that they, they bring something out of you, that to listen responsibly to a story is to be changed by it. And actually that a story isn't a story until it changes, that a story doesn't become thought and moved until it gets told, and each time is like jazz, it's only the same once. Um, and so when we act from a place of deep listening, uh, we also become responsible to ourselves and to others in a deep way. And so we ask ourselves, how can we not merely be hearers of the good news, but be good news? And the word here for doers is actually poetes. It's the same word for poetry. So the scripture is saying for all of us to become poets of the word to find our lives, beauty, struggles, and our work in the spaces and gasp, gaps of gospel poetry. Yes, we are being called to soul work. When we give up too easily to desire or when we bottle up our hurt and pain and anger, the scripture says we give birth to sin, which becomes death when it is matured. This is soul death. But as the author says in verse 18, in fulfillment of his own purpose, God gave us birth by the word of truth so that we would become a kind of first fruits of God's creatures. And so we nourish the word planted in us. We nourish the divine seed of our soul. As Reverend Franklin said, the soul is a little bit of God inside of us. It is that thing that God gave birth inside of us with the word of truth. We nourish the God in us by being slow to let our anger settle and quick to listen deeply. Listen deeply to God. Listen deeply to those around us who God speaks through. 
We nourish the God in us when we take a day before responding to a challenging email or text, or take a deep breath before responding to a sharp comment. We nourish the God in us when others can hear us using our listening ears. When we listen out loud, we nourish the God in us when our words become actions that draws the circle of community wider and wider, when we are doers and not merely hearers. We nourish the God in us by investigating our hurt, by not letting our pain fester, but rather letting our suffering get metabolized by the spirit of generosity into strength and a deeper hope. We nourish the God in us by chiseling away at fossilized hate and indignation. We nourish the God in each other because none of us can be whole alone. And yes, when we become poets of the gospel word, doers of the word of truth, it won't always be pretty. It may come out petty. It may come out in lowercase blues, or it may come out ugly and tearful. But we can expect it to be ridiculed and laughed at, but there's always the chance that this soul work could change a situation. The more we do it, the more we practice soul work, listening deeply, keeping an open mind and heart, acting with compassion, the more we make room for others around us to do their own soul work, the more it can change a situation. Because this idea of the soul, a piece of God in us, the thing about having something inside us that is not totally of us, something inside that is strong, something inside that is beyond our control. That is, it gets to work on its own without us even knowing it. This is the miracle of being created by a loving, imaginative, imaginative awesome creator that our little spark of God, our soul, keeps on creating, sometimes in spite of us, and more often if we get out of its way. So maybe we hear James's commands not as admonishments, not as commands, but more like we hear the commands of a loving parent. Wash your hands, eat your vegetables, brush your teeth. James says, no one when tempted should say, I'm being tempted by God because every good and generous gift comes from above. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Be doers of the word and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. Live your lives listening out loud. In essence, all of this is your soul work. It's good for you. Amen. Hi, I'm Tom Smooker. As I like to recount, when I first attended Middle Church, there were more people in the choir than the congregation. And the gospel choir, the way I remember it, was just uh, Jerice and Dean and Mary Jo. I was lucky enough to serve on the consistory during those years when Middle grew from being the kooky but lovable sibling in the collegiate church family to being recognized as a congregation that never stopped growing. Later, I had the honor of returning to consistory as Gordon Drack retired and Jackie Lewis was hired, proving that middle was more than just a moment's stroke of good luck, but an important part of a permanent social, cultural, religious, and political movement for inclusion and justice.
During those same years, I was drawn into involvement with my union, Local 1101 of the Communication Workers of America, which is why I wear a hat that says, Retired Member Local 1101. <clears throat> that was at a job I took at what used to be called the phone company, thinking I might stay for six months, but remained for 30 years, and as we say, retired with dignity. There I learned other lessons about inclusion and justice, or as we like to say in unions and as we sang this morning, solidarity. Often taught to me by my Irish, Italian, and Polish Catholic mentors, making me ponder the individualism that is sometimes the glory and sometimes the shame of my own Protestant tradition. While middle grew and my local union renewed itself and remained strong, the union movement itself shrank across America under the unremitting attack of right-wing politicians and think tanks, and dare I say it, many liberals, including here are those who like to forget that Martin Luther King was assassinated while in Memphis to support a drive for union recognition by municipal employees. That's how he died. Now we stand at a moment in this country of affluence and inequality a Supreme Court intent on killing off unions forever, an appeal to working class white men losing their unions, their jobs, their dignity, and their benefits to respond to a toxic mixture of nostalgia, racism, misogyny, and homophobia. All of us who offer an alternative to this catastrophe really need to learn to stand together now. Middle Church has proven it can exist and survive, and now it must prove it can lead. We've inherited a wonderful legacy that's very important to me personally and to my family. Fulfilling it in this time and place takes talent, time, and money. I invite you to contribute. Also, let me say that if you have a if you can, please also contribute to this wonderful organization, the Labor and Religion Coalition. You can just fill out the white envelope and put LRC on it. I'm a longtime member. It's a nationwide organization. It's done some great things. I once went on a, uh, a, a, shop, a sweatshop uh, involved uh, union organizing drive in New Haven and Chicago. Uh, it's really a good group, and I'm looking... What, what time is the meeting for that? Right after. Uh, I'll be there, uh, and uh, if you can attend, please attend. Thank you.
God, we give you thanksgiving for the soul, the peace of you that is in each of us. And we thank you for that soul that is love, that is generosity. Help us to use these gifts for your honor and your vision and your mission and guide us as we seek to be your soul to others. Amen. You may be seated as we prepare for communion. My name is Gloria. I'm a proud member of Local 808 Teamsters. All right. Creator, work with God, we praise you for all who labor for the common good and for those whose service is unappreciated. We thank you for children who play in the, who, we thank you for children whose play is the work of learning to live in the world. We thank you for disciples who are obedient to the prompting of your spirit in all their relationships. And we thank you for your yearning mercy when we fall short. I'm Madge Dietrich. I'm a proud member of Actors' Equity Association. Would you pray with me? God, who labors with us, release us into unity and communion with all your people. We know that our stories form us. Some of them bind us. Some of them liberate us but we are called to liberation, to our own freedom, and to the freedoms of our neighbors. We say, we are burdened, and you, O oh God, say, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Amen. Amen. And so we come to this table remembering the liberating practice of our God. Passover, the Exodus, the very embodiment of love in the flesh of Christ. We remember his breaking bread and his sharing the cup. On the night before he was betrayed, he was having supper with friends. He took the bread and said, this is the bread of life, broken for us. Eat it in remembrance of me for the salvation of you and of many. Then he took the cup of blessing and hold it. He said, drink this, all of you, in remembrance of me. So, beloved, come and eat. Come and drink. We need this bread and this cup on the journey for freedom. All is prepared. All are welcome. If you please join us at this communion table. We will begin from the balcony and from the back, and I think we have some special servers too.
uh, was not, did not receive, just put your hand up and Diane will come to you. A loving God, we have eaten and drank, feeling your community all around us as we are stitched back together after another week of life. Let us hold on to us for this week and remember our unity in you. In your mere names we pray, amen. I think we got a song. We're ready for a hymn. All right. Let the church say amen for the In the Middle Choir. And we're happy to have Tammy Petty back directing and uh, Sniffy on the organ. And let the church say amen for all those who participate in worship today. Thank you. Uh, please do uh, join us later uh, upstairs in the fourth floor studio. We'll have coffee. You can get your parfait uh, in the social hall. Uh, in, in Cornel West's first book, Prophesied Deliverance, in the 80s, it's a thin little book, and uh, whenever I want to feel humbled, I just think that he wrote it when he was 28. Um, but he, and he, I, think he, I think I've heard him say it's still his favorite book. But in that book, he, he talks about two types of freedom, that there's existential freedom and social freedom, and that you need existential freedom in order to fight for social freedom. The opposite isn't necessarily true. But that you need uh, the liberation that comes from the inside out, the work of the soul that makes us free enough so that we can be liberated in our interactions with one another, so that we can be free enough to fight for justice and fight injustice wherever it comes. Amen. So uh, I leave you with that as we consider our soul work in this still hot summer as we prepare uh, for the new year. Please pray with me. Now may God, you dismiss us from this place, but please never ever from your presence. 
Let us go in peace and love and strength to do your work in the world. In your many mighty, loving, and tender names we pray. Amen.